your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Monday of Lacrosse Talk PM. U.S. House Rep. Ron Kind, retiring Ron Kind, is going to join me in a couple of minutes. But before we do that, I wanted to bring on Kate Abbott. She's over at the National Weather Service in Lacrosse. I uh, had a little bit of weather. I had to experience some of this weather, Kate, and I thought, oh, selfishly, let's just bring you on to talk about what I had to experience. As uh, everybody in my neighborhood is is clearing huge trees that fell down. My biggest tree fell down. Luckily, it didn't land in my house. Uh, power was out for 12 hours where I was at. Uh, a lot of other people lost their power for a while. A tornado, what you guys called at the National Weather Service, you called a weak tornado. That's disrespectful to that. Tornado's pretty pissed that you called it that. Yeah, unfortunately, um, you know, we rate our tornadoes based on the wind damage that occurs, and uh, the damage that occurred, a lot of trees, like you mentioned, uh, fell within that EF0 or a weaker tornado end of things, but it does not minimize the amount of damage that's occurred across the area from the storms the other day. What kind of what are, what are the outliers that we see? I know Stoddard seemed to get a lot of wind damage. My my area in Houston County, a lot of wind damage, and that little that quote unquote weak tornado. And then Lacrosse apparently got heavy rain. But what was why? What were the outliers? Wind, rain? Did it snow anywhere? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no snow this time around, but it was mainly a heavy wind and a heavy rain producing system. Um, so we saw some of the. Strongest damage occur across northern Houston County into um, southern La Crosse County and Vernon County. We saw wind speeds around 70 miles per hour in the Stoddard area. Lots and lots of trees down um, through that swath. And then as the uh, one to two inches of rain fell in the La Crosse area, uh, the drainage system just couldn't hold up with that. So we saw a lot of street flooding um, with all that concrete in the more urban areas as well. Yeah, we seem to see that a lot. And I, I know Lacrosse's sewer system could use an update, and you're not going to be able to comment on that. But the amount of rain, every time it rains, it seems like, are we getting are we getting a lot more rain than than usual too? Just in based on like the past 20 years, is the amount of rain we get now just just way like exponentially more than than 20 years ago? Well, it just kind of depends on how quickly that rain is falling. When we have really high rain rates, that's when we see those urban flooding effects start to happen. Um, so there was only about one to two inches that fell, but it fell in about an hour or less. So does that what I'm asking? Does that happen more frequently? Um, I can't speak to the history of it. As far as rainfall totals in Lacrosse, it's not uncommon to see that, but. Um, it just happens uh, in that short period of time. That's when we see those impacts. Um, and then having a tornado in Houston County, even though it's a weak one and an EF zero. So you measure it to the EF rating is based on how much damage a tornado does, not like wind speed or how long it lasted or how, how wide it was? Yeah, that's correct. It's really hard to get um, wind measurements from tornadoes while they're actually occurring because they're so quick and um, they often don't pass over wind sensors, so the uh, the EF scale is based on damage that we go and assess after the fact. Yeah, I suppose nobody's out there with like a a wind <laughs> wind speed measuring tool to 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 assess how fast that's going. Um, and then having a even if it's a weak tornado, having a tornado in mid July pretty typical, a, a abnormal. 
Uh, we tend to see tornadoes throughout the summertime period in Wisconsin. Um, July is one of our busier months for severe weather, so not too atypical to see tornadoes in July here. All right. So this one, but this one was was small, and and not only well, I don't know. Was it a? Was it small? And b? Like we're kind of lucky where it ended up, right? It didn't. I, I think you you sit on your social media. It just damaged one barn. So sorry for that person's barn, but. Um, in, in terms of uh, real damage, if it would have been somewhere else, it would have been a lot worse. Yeah, luckily it was uh, just north of the city of Houston, um, so it hit more of a rural area versus a, a po- more populated city area. Um, so thankfully, the damage uh, that did occur was uh, minimal, but those farms that it did hit, they, of course, will be feeling those effects. And what's uh, what's the National Weather Service office like, uh, you know, Friday leading up to it and then like the, these past couple of days? Are you guys just busy, busy, busy? <laughs> it does get a little busier around here when we have severe weather coming through. So on Friday we had some extra staff in. We hosted a webinar for local officials. Um, and then on Saturday we had probably four to five extra people in um, so about eight people total monitoring um, and helping out with our weather systems um, and operations. Uh, and then yesterday we had a team out surveying the area. Um, that's when they confirmed the tornado in Houston County. Um, and so just kind of wrapping up all of that work then yesterday. Um, and then today we're finally back to a more normal uh, operational pace around here. These storms would be great if these storms hit during the week when we have like when we have to go to work and it just ruins our weekend, and then you guys probably have to call reinforcements in, too. Yeah, we do. We typically have less people in town on the weekend, um, but we do keep extra people around just for instances like that occurred. Um, and especially we were worried about campers with it being the weekend. Um, a lot of campers had to pack up and leave their campsites around the area. Um, so we're lucky we got the word out early so they knew to take those precautions. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, in my area, by Valley High, the 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 weather thing said, you know, three oh eight is when you're going to expect uh, some really high winds, and it came in at three oh eight. It was right on right on the dot. You guys, yeah, it's amazing uh, the technology these days. How we can track the storms and get really accurate estimations like that. Um, sometimes they can be a few minutes off, but we they try to dial it in as much as they can. All right, that's Kate Abbott. She's up there on the hill, on the bluff at the National Weather Service in La Crosse. Thanks a lot, Kate. Thanks, Rick. All right, we got to take a break. Representative Ron Kine going to join us. He's been calling in. Just a minute. All right, welcome back to La Crosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the text line for now. Representative Ron Kine representing the 3rd Congressional District here in Wisconsin, the La Crosse area and beyond. He's on the phone with me now. A uh, lot of lot of stuff on the agenda, Ron. But I have thanks for thanks for joining us. I have Brad Williams in the studio. Wisdom's Brad Williams, and he wants to just he, he's got a better view of history because he lived through some of this, and he wants to compare the January sixth committee hearings that that we just wrapped up season one of. I think I think we're doing season one. We might have a season two, and then a little bit of history, like with stuff with Watergate, right, Brad? You- Watergate, yes. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Brad. You got yes, Ron, Congressman. That's uh, that's history for you. Yes, I'm, I'm just looking at the uh, 
we have a clip on our uh, newsroom door of the uh, Logan High Boys and Girls Staters from 1980, and right on the out of the Tribune, right there, the first one, oh my Ron God. J. Kind. So anyway. <laughs> oh. Ancient history, guys. Ancient, ancient, history, ancient history. Oh, we can't get into a conversation about school consolidation with Ron right now. That no, would take up the whole time. Oh we, we are talking you about talk Jan- about digging deep in the archives for that one. <laughs> oh yeah, no. But January sixth, uh, I was listening back to uh, stories we were doing on that day, and we talked to you. Uh, I think at the very time that it was still happening, that one hundred eighty-seven minute period, and you were yeah. you were close to the action. Where were you ex- again uh, exactly uh, at that time? Well, Brad, I have to say this, that the only one I can think of who's been serving our community longer than me has been you, and I congratulate you well, on that. Well, let's not forget Dick Rickard you, you, You've been a great reporter keeping us informed what's going on in the area, and more power to you. I hope you never retire. I hope you keep doing this. Me too. But back to your question. I, I think I did do an interview in the midst of the, uh, the insurrection, the, yeah, you were, the assault on the Capitol. You were on I with me. I was on the floor at the time. And I was able to slip out of a side door, get down through the tunnels, and back to my office in Longworth uh, while this was still happening. Because I figured they were just interested in the Capitol and not our house office buildings. But it just seems so surreal to me. And yet it seems like yesterday, uh, and these obviously January 6th hearings I think are incredibly important in order to provide us a roadmap to prevent this from ever happening again in our country. Because it's a major blemish on our democracy, the rest of the world was looking at us uh, aghast in terror that this is what the United States of America has turned into. And we became we came perilously close to losing our democracy that day. If we had not certified the electoral count, it would have been a constitutional crisis. And given where President Trump's mind was at the time, he might have incited more violence uh, on the streets, not just in Washington, but throughout America. Now, I wanted to get your uh, take on what we have seen from these hearings so far. Uh, your your point of view as a congressman for 13 terms who has been through his share of hearings of one sort or another on Capitol Hill, also as a former prosecutor, and people look from two sides at this, uh, one saying this is incredible what the committee is coming out with, and the other side saying witch hunt, kangaroo court, show trial, there's nothing here, they're just trying to make a case. Uh, should this committee be doing anything different to assure the public that they're in a fair process? Well, no, it is a bipartisan committee. Let's not overlook that fact. Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, they are Republicans, and very conservative Republicans, mind you. But there are other Republicans that voted for impeachment right after this who thought what the president did was wrong. And, And I guess that's what jumped out at me through all this is, how potent a big lie can be, even in a democracy such as ours. If you repeat the lie over and over again, you get enough people actually believing it and subscribing to it and then acting upon it. And we saw that uh, in all its glory on January 6th. And it just shows you how dangerous and fragile, again, our, our democracy is. But I've also been struck by the amount of planning and coordination right in the White House, especially the Oval Office. The president was planning for this date for some time, and he was getting his supporters geared up to come to Washington and make this run on the on the, the Congress, the Capitol, and on the Electoral College certification process. And also the, the close relationship that he had with a lot of these white supremacist groups, the Proud Boys, the Three Percenters, the Oath Keepers, who apparently had a direct line of communication into the White House coordinating uh, all of this. So 
that was alarming uh, as well. But the goal of the committee from the beginning has been what steps can we take now to ensure this never happens again, to ensure that the integrity of the election box, that the outcome of elections will be respected as long as they're legitimate, and that someone can't be out there perpetuating an alternate reality and convincing people of that reality, which can lead to violence in our country. Thank you, Congressman. I yield the floor to Chairman Rick Vessel. <laughs> okay. Right, thanks. thanks, Brad. Thanks, Brad. Uh, all right. We, uh, if you haven't figured it out, we have U.S. House Rep. I like to say U.S. House Rep, Ron, because uh, when we say Congress, that's, that kind of encompasses the Senate as well. But uh, well, You can just call me the OQB if you guys are going back to those Logan archives. The you call OQB, me the OQB. Yeah. I feel like that. that was a basketball picture I, 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 we have of you there. Uh, I'll have yeah, to go look basketball at Basketball, too. Yep. Um, yeah. And, man, it would be interesting to get your take on just, uh, I mean, just real quick, like 30 seconds. Do you do you want to see the Logan and Central high schools merge into one? I mean, being a, a Logan grad. You know, I'm, I'm a bigger fan of smaller schools. It gives more students more opportunities to play sports, be in band, music, all that. If you have one mega high school, there are going to be so many kids that are going to be on the sidelines not playing or not being able to participate. And I hope they're thinking through that aspect of it. Uh, I get the consolidation and the cost savings and declining enrollment, but I think you do lose a lot when you go to big mega schools and the opportunities that just aren't there for you know, typical kids like myself. Could we keep uh, West Bend East and West Bend West? They have one high school, and then they just if you're an odd birthday, you're an Easter. If you're an even birthday, you're a Wester, and then they have two different, uh, you know, all their sports are, are uh, split up. Yeah, it'd be creative. You know, split the sports, split the band, split music, uh, you know, all that, if they can make that work. But then you're going to have double coaches, double teachers, and where's the, where's the cost savings in all that then? So... You know, what are we ultimately trying to accomplish, I guess? Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. I, I want to I have a conversation with you about culture wars, because it seems to me that we could we could be diving into this as I about what? I don't know, a year or so ago or not quite a year ago. Uh, Republicans in Wisconsin and elsewhere were banning stuff. We're banning books. We're banning critical race theory, their interpretation of this stuff. Uh, and it was kind of disheartening to me to see that stuff because I'm like, we're banning history. Um, now we see in the House, you guys are voting uh, for different things. Um, uh, I'll just, I'll just, I played it out like this: uh, abortion rights, protecting abortion rights. The U.S. House voted 209 Republicans voted against that. Protecting interstate travel for reproductive care, 205 Republicans voted against that in the U.S. House of Representatives. Protecting contraceptive access. We did this last week. 195 Republicans voted against this. All these passed, but these are the these are how many people voted against it. And then protecting marriage equality, including gay and interracial marriage. We're pr- pr- protecting these things. 157 Republicans vote against this. Um, are, are, do you do you see the the parallels here with a a, a culture war um, conversation? Do you do you see do you think that that we're having dueling culture wars now between the left and the right? Well, I, I, yeah, Rick, I see one major distinction between the two, and, and that is all these personal privacy protections that you just named emanated from the Roe decision. And now that that's been repealed by the Supreme Court, all this is fair game. Those rights can be rolled back, including the right to choose for women for the first time in over 50 years. That now is no longer uh, a right in our country. So this is very real, and this is happening. And there are laws in the books um, in, in various states prohibiting this very activity. And just how far back to the Middle Ages are we willing to go as a country? 
And so there's one thing Congress can do, and that is statutorily protect these rights that are now taken away by the Dobbs decision. And Clarence Thomas was clear in his concurring opinion that all these are subject to review now. And if anyone believes that the Supreme Court aren't going to touch them, well, all you have to do is look at the confirmation hearings of these justices when they promised to follow precedent. They said that they respected Roe's law of the land only to vote it out um, as soon as they got on the bench. So one thing we can do to protect the right to travel from state to state, access to contraception, access, you know, the right to choose who we're going to love and spend our life with, uh, is to pass it statutorily now in Congress, or the court is very capable with their majority of stripping all these rights away from people today. When, when that many Republicans in the House vote against it, we're going to need 10 Republicans in the Senate to vote for this stuff, for it to pass. Do you, do you see that happening at all? Or are we at a point in now in politics where eh, we're not going to give the Democrats any wins? We're just, I mean, is that where we're at? So if Republicans were passing this stuff, we'd be, we'd be fine. But we're just, is it, is it to the point where we just don't want to give Democrats any quote unquote wins? We don't want them to be able to, to go to the. No, I think it's- the, the, yeah, I think it's more than that, Rick. I, I think generally you know, the vast majority of Republicans I know in Washington oppose these rights. And they're, of course they're not going to vote for them then. But this is ultimately going to have to be a decision by the American people of what they're willing to tolerate in this country and the rollback of these basic protections that, let's face it, we've been taking for granted for decades now. You know, the right to contraceptive access. How controversial can that be? Yet many, many of my Republican colleagues want to deny that right. And there are laws on state books right now that deny the right to contraception. The only thing that prevents that from going into effect was a previous Supreme Court decision that now we have a sitting justice saying he wants to overturn. And if he can convince his colleagues on the court, they can do that uh, tomorrow if they want. So all this now, I think, is, is, is an open book. And where we end up, again, is going to fall on the shoulders of the American people. And that starts on Election Day. Well, an open deciding to represent them. All of it's an open book until we ban that book, and then we can't look at that either. Well, well, that's another thing that's going on is book uh, banning, and soon it will lead to book burning, and you know, see how that worked out in uh, in Nazi Germany during the 1930s. Not not too well. All right, I I I believe some of the the Democrats who were well, at least one of them was in town. Was it last week? Demograph was in town. She called you out on this, an active shooter alert act. You were the only Democrat in the House of Representatives to vote against this. Um, I guess can you describe what the active shooter alert act is, and and just why why you took that vote, that no vote, nay vote? Yeah, this is that fierce independence that I've been known for in representing my district, is studying an issue and then trying to make what I think is the right call for the people back home. Basically, it would set up an Amber Alert to, uh, to warn the community when there's an active shooter, uh, active shooting taking place. And the reason I voted against it, because I kind of know the guys around here, you know, I hunt with many of them. If they get an active shooter alert on their iPhone, they're going to strap a gun around on their shoulder. They're going to rush to the scene, and they're hoping to do good and take that shooter down. But I know that, as a former prosecutor, law enforcement's already going to be there. And in the din of confusion, and in the fog of what's happening, law enforcement's not going to know who the good guy is or the bad guy is. You're going to have civilians showing up armed in order to take the shooter out, and it's going to be chaos. Uh, innocent people could be in the crossfire. And we, I also know this, Rick, that in the vast majority of active shooting, of mass shooting cases, by the time law enforcement shows up within two or three minutes, that shooter has either fled the scene or they've committed suicide. 
So why do we want to strike panic in the heart of the community when more likely than not, uh, there's not going to be an emergency situation for very long because law enforcement's already on the scene. And, and that's what I, that's why I, I oppose it. I just don't think it was very well thought out. I think we, we ought to be exploring this a little bit more of just what activity we're going to be encouraging. And I know a lot of the, my friends, uh, if they saw an active shooting taking place in their community, uh, the chances are they're going to grab their gun and they're going to run down there to see if they can help. Well, that's probably it, the last thing that you want to see done. Well, and, and if it happens like in Uvalde where it's at a school and we know that the, we know exactly where the shooter is and he hasn't left yet, we, we saw how many officers and police and police policing yeah. type officers, I think like almost 400 and we just let him sit in there um, and parents, parents. But when if it's something like in a school, parents that have kids in that school would be notified anyway. So everyone that needs to know that stuff immediately would know, I would assume. Yeah, and you know, in, you know, local media is going to be there in a matter of minutes. You guys are tracking police uh, comms anyway. You, you're going to know within minutes that something like this is happening in the community. But, but to panic everyone when, within a few minutes, law enforcement will be on the scene, and chances are that shooter would have already left or committed suicide, or the police would have already confronted them. To me, you know, creating that type of panic uh, may not be in the best interest of what we're trying to accomplish. But I'm also worried about the vigilante effect that this might have. And I said, I'm a multiple gun owner myself. And if something was happening in my neighborhood, I'd be tempted to grab one of my guns and heading down there. To, in fact, on January 6th, back to that event, Rick, I was on the, on the floor of the house when the riot was breaking out. And I turned to a police officer asking him for another weapon in case I needed to help protect my colleagues who were in the uh, Galleries, gallery uh, seats up above who couldn't get out of the House chamber. So that's how desperate I thought it was, that I wanted to be armed for self-protection and, and to help my colleagues. So if I was thinking that way at that moment, I can only imagine what other people would do if there was an active shooter in their neighborhood. What with no that? training, with no background, with no, you know, really no, no training on how to use a weapon in that type of situation. That's what we train and hire law enforcement to do. So, again, I'm, I understand what they're trying to do in warning the community so that they don't step into something, but um, I think we need to think this through a little bit more. And, and to Deb McGrath, I mean, I think that shows the difference between someone who knows his congressional district, knows the people there, and someone who really doesn't, who hasn't been attached to the 3rd Congressional District uh, uh, at all for the last 30 years. So... Uh, Deb might be a little bit careful who she's criticizing here. Um, did that officer at least give you his nightstick or anything? Well, he turned to me and, in all seriousness, looked at me and said, Sir, that is not a good idea. And in retrospect, he was exactly right. He was the one with the training. That was the last thing you, he wanted was to see members of Congress armed and taking on these insurrectionists, even though they were uh, at our door, you know, breaking down the barricades, uh, including my opponent last time, Derek Van Orden, who was part of the mob. He was on the, on the wall of the Capitol. He was directing other insurrectionists where they needed to go that day. He was there to overturn the election and stage a coup against our government. He's the last person who should be running for public office today, in my mind. Well, he's all right with guns, unless he's at the airport. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Since when is it a good idea to bring a loaded gun with a round in the chamber on a plane after 9-11. I mean, what world has he been living in, after all? 
All right. Last thing before I let you go. I, I don't have a ton of time, but uh, the U.S. House also passed. Uh, we just rubber stamped this again. We've added to the military budget another eight. I think it's around eight hundred forty billion dollars for next year. Uh, when are we going to like reel this in a little bit? Yeah, you know, it was an amendment that would have uh, brought that down a little bit uh, to mesh with the president's request because he's getting that directly from the Pentagon. But Congress, in their infinite wisdom, plussed it up by another $60 billion or so. And I voted against that, even though it ultimately passed with the full, for the full bill. I mean, there's so much waste in the Pentagon budget. There are redundant, unnecessary weapons programs that our uh, defense leaders keep telling Congress to stop appropriating money for because they're better suited for the 1950s than the 21st century, and yet Congress keeps appropriating, keeps these weapon systems going with no effort at all for cost savings. And uh, I just think that it's a missed opportunity, and we can do a better job as stewards of the tax dollar rather than just throwing more and more without reform being attached to it. Yeah, I'll just say, I, I, Ron, I had to go to the doctor last week because I had the spins. I ended up having a bout of vertigo. I have no idea what it's going to cost me. I have health insurance, so hopefully like they pay some or all of that, but I have no idea. I've, I don't, I've never hit a deductible. But I go there, and I'm like, ah, I wonder what this is going to cost. The lady even said, are you going to be paying today, or do you have insurance when I was checking out? And I was like, well, I hope the insurance pays, but I have no idea. And then uh, a couple of days later, the hospital called me, and they said, hey, do you want to come in for a discharge? We want to see if you're okay. And I go, well, is that going to cost me money? And they go, well, yeah, there's going to be a fee for coming back in. I'm like, no, I'm good. So I know you're a guy that's not for Medicare for all, but these are the stupid things that like we all have to deal with every day, every time we get like just a little you yeah, know, a case of the spin. Transparency would go a long ways, including in the healthcare field. And we're still working on trying to do that. But you're right. There's a lot of unnecessary tests, procedures, things that are done to us regardless of results. That's one of the things we're trying to clean up in the healthcare system. But Every aspect of the federal budget I mean, should be under severe scrutiny for cost savings. That's why I've been a believer in a two-year budget cycle rather than every year, so that during the off-year, congressional committees are doing oversight, getting rid of unnecessary programs, getting rid of things that don't work, and finding taxpayer savings. That's what we should be doing in Congress. I mean, the transparency would be great until she goes, yeah, this uh, whatever you have, this case of the spins, Rick, it's going to cost you $812 to see the doctor. I'd be like, well, I'm going to go home and use Google then. That's probably what would have yeah. happened. <laughs> so yeah. tra- price transparency is great until, the, until you see the price, and then you turn around when you're sick and go, I can't afford that. Well, it's, you know, it's meant to foster competition. So you might be able to go down instead of the Gunnarsson to the mail uh, yeah. in the neighborhood instead. You know, that's, that's the concept behind it, but... You can imagine there's fierce resistance to that, e- even from the insurance companies who try to negotiate better rates for their patients, and they don't want to show what those rates are that uh, that their customers are getting compared to other people. So, yeah, it, whenever you've got you know roughly one fifth of the entire U.S. economy involved, it's going to get complicated. But there's going to be entrenched special interests protecting the status quo, and that's what's so frustrating. All right, you got a year left. Anything, any big plans for this final? You're, 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 you know, heading into off into the sunset. Yeah, well, six months. I have till the end of the year, but yep. I want to end a war in Europe uh, and put Putin on his heels. I want to uh, make sure that we're paying for healthcare based on value and outcomes rather than uh, volume. Uh, and what else? Uh, oh yeah, I want to solve climate change and global warming. So. Other than that, uh, it's a pretty light docket right now, Rick. Yeah, at least get the ball rolling on on 
climate change. It doesn't seem like, I mean, I know we're doing stuff, but it just seems, it seems like we're not all uh, on the same page at that, at this point or in the same. Now, there's still a lot of science denial out there, which is unfortunate because there's really a lot of neat stuff happening with technology, with energy efficiency, with alternative renewable, good paying jobs. I've got a bill that would provide production tax credits for methane digesters for farms so that you can use the waste and manure, convert it into energy, capture the methane so it's not going in the atmosphere. Uh, it, it makes uh, virtual free energy for those farmers, and they're able to sell back to the grid. A lot of win-wins out there if we, as you said, get on the same page and, and start treating this seriously as it, as it should be. All right. That's uh, Logan. Great. Ron Kine. Thanks a lot, Ron. Hey, anytime, guys. All Take right. care. Yeah. All right, U.S. House Rep. Ron Kine. All right, we're way over time. All right, welcome back. Lacrosse Talk PM. I'm Rick Solom. You want to call in, now's the time. 608-785-7914. Just went, uh, little, just went round, round for round with Ron Kine. U.S. House Rep retiring here in six months after 26 years in Congress. 26 years in the House of Representatives. Four people on the Democratic side vying to become the Democratic Rep and then uh, would go against Derek Van Orden, the Republican Rep, in the 3rd Congressional District. Uh, You know, every time I, I, I didn't say 26 years while he was on because that would just get me to a term limits conversation. Uh, term limits always a funny conversation. I think there was just a, like 66% of people are in favor of term limits, um, which I think we almost need to impose because the way every state gerrymanders, not every state, but a lot of states gerrymander the raps just solidifies that person's going to remain in Congress uh, for, for however long. And then, and then you do need term limits, but, you don't. You wouldn't. Shouldn't actually need term limits. Like in Wisconsin for a Senate, you wouldn't need senators to have term limits because it's a statewide vote, and that person. The only. The only issue there, and we've talked to Ron Kind about this before, not not today, but in the past, and just uh, the ability for Congress people to uh, make money, not being in Congress, but by you know stock market, just the information. They they know and I think Ron the two not today but the last time he was on he was he was definitely against uh, uh, politicians being able to dabble into and their families dabble in the stock market just knowing what they know. Eric from Sparta's on. Eric, go ahead. You're on the air. Uh, did I hear just hear that J six hearing go all over again? I see I see enough of that. It's a fraud, and you know it, Rick. You know it. It's a fraud to begin with. Ron Kine will never darken the steps of Congress again because he both oxy and takes three steps across the world on my dime. So okay. Thanks. Thanks for the call. Uh six oh eight seven eight five seven nine one four. I I don't I don't think it's a fraud. It's laid it all out there for you. It's right there to watch. Um it's it's it was made for TV. Otherwise, you're not going to watch. So uh, UW Lacrosse Political Science Professor Dr. Anthony Tchaikovsky said he can't wait to get his hands on all the documents uh, like a political political science professor would do. He's going to nerd out on all that stuff and, and see all the information that comes out. Uh, 
in, in terms of what they gathered that they didn't put on TV or how they came to some certain conclusions. Uh, Ron was there. It was interesting to hear him say uh, he asked a, an officer or whomever, I don't know, if, like a, a capital officer for uh, a weapon. Didn't seem like, uh, you know, that, and that's just the thinking at that point. The, the, the panic, I guess, what's happening? Oh, my God. I don't have, like, how am I going to protect myself? Uh, Northside Kent on with me. Uh, Kent, you know what's on the uh, the committee budget next week? I do not. Hopefully it's funding uh, Northside Mayor's race for 2025. Uh, you're going to be, you, you could be out of a building. <laughs> I hope, hopefully not. Yeah. They're not getting me out of Burger King, are they? Yeah, it's on the, on the uh, I can't remember if it's the Tuesday or the Thursday committee meeting, JNA or the other FMP. Uh, but yeah, I think there's a proposal there to destroy the old defunct Burger King that you're working out of. Oh man, I'm gonna have to move into the abandoned Northside Shop Go then. Yeah, I mean that one or the other one. I mean, is the other one in on Alaska technically, or is it Lacrosse? It's on Alaska, but the okay. Northside abandoned shop goes closer. I'll just move in there. It's got a lot more space. Yeah, I suppose that makes. Yeah, I mean, quite a bit more space. If you could expand a little bit. Yeah, there you go, brother. But, you know, I, Ron Kind, he's been in office for a long time. You talked about term limits. Yeah. I think we need to do that all the way around. You know, Senate, Congress, local, you got like eight years, and either you do good or go on your way, man. Yeah, I mean, we do it with the president. Why wouldn't we do it with everyone else? The only thing I, I think the, 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 the argument against term limits is, um, so let's just say like everything had a term limit. Let's just say this radio program had a term limit and I don't know what that would be. I think Mitch was on for a decade. I've, I think I'm closing in on year three here next month. I think it's year three. Um, you know, but after four years, you have to move on from your job. I feel like after four years, I'm just starting to get pretty okay at my job, you know? Right. But after three years, you'd still have another five with an eight year term limit. Right. You know, but, look at Nancy Pelosi and all these old people. I'm not just singling her out, but well, she's fun God, to pick on. You know, yeah, she's fun <laughs> to pick on. I get, I, I get where. I, yeah, it's it, there's definitely an argument for it. Uh, and and maybe maybe a politician's job is a little different than you know, like my my dad for twenty some years worked at Kimberly Clark as a you know a a, a millwright there, and uh, you know as you work there longer, you get better at your job you know the machines and you kind of know them like the back of your hand as stupid as that phrase is because how many people look at the back of their hand would know it out of somebody else's back of their hand but um so the longer you work there so in terms of being a politician the longer you work there wouldn't you would you get better at your job or would you just get more devious Ah, i'm starting to learn how to jump through certain hoops but I, i feel like there's an advantage to being in congress a little bit longer and we vote for them every two years the problem with 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 the U.S. House of Representatives and some of these other offices, the the the, the term is two years, and for a year and a half they're they're campaigning. I mean, look at our, our state legislature right now. It's been off since March. I like to say this every. I'm going might do it every day now. They've been off since March. Our state legislature has been out of session, and they're not coming back until January of 2023. Like, what is that? <laughs> the term limits. Their term was like. 15 months, and then they took the rest of the year off. Might even be more than that. All right, 608-785-7914. Uh, Triple Tom is on. Tri- Triple Tom, go ahead. You're on the air. 
Yeah, Rick, I was just wondering, uh, you had Ron Kind on and you talked about free health care. Um, next time, ask him about if we can get free groceries. I, I don't understand why we can't get free groceries. So, What are your thoughts on that, Rick? Should we be able to get free groceries? Yeah, I think certain people that are in positions where they uh, they don't, they don't have access to food, they can't afford food, probably would need it. You know, a lot of kids in, in school right now, are, are are without school lunch programs, school breakfast programs. Congress ended that at the beginning of June, I think, or the end of June, end of June. And uh, so, yeah, we have we have the ability to to feed children, and yeah, free school lunch, free school breakfast. I'm all for it. And you know what? You don't even have to go to that school if you're a kid and you want to eat some food. Have at it. 